Well, as I said earlier, uh, when we got started, uh, we're just thrilled to be here with you. And now as we enter into this period of worship, as we've already entered into this time, to gather around the Lord's table and engage in other activities of worship, I'm very happy and thankful to God to have this part in the bringing the sermon at this time. This congregation over the years has been an encouragement to many young preachers. Um, I've shared with Kevin that um, it was uh, this fall will be 50 years ago that I was a student at Florida College. And um, during, at, at that time, and going back to my second year at that time, um, the church here was in the practice of uh, having some of the young men that were training to be preachers to come in and fill in and uh, on Sunday nights in particular. And so I had the opportunity during that time, nearly 50 years ago. And uh, so uh, I don't know if, if I'm supposed to say what goes around comes around or, or if, I, or if I, I thought about saying, well, it just took them 50 years to invite me back for a gospel meeting. And, uh, but um, I'm truly glad to be with you. But things like that, though, when you're a young man and there's a congregation that is encouraging and, um, and, and providing opportunities for young men to preach the gospel. That's something you remember, and so I do appreciate that. It's, it is good to be with you. And I, as we listened with you to the announcements, I know some are members here, some are visiting, some may uh, be traveling after today, but I'm looking forward to as many as possible being here for all the lessons in the gospel meeting and um, we'll learn and grow and worship God together. And um, I'm just glad to be here with you. In that passage of scripture that was just read a while ago in our hearing, in 2, Peter, 2 Timothy, the third chapter, reference was made to Timothy personally. And when Paul was writing him, of course, it's a personal letter to his uh, addressing his work as an evangelist. But reference was made that I've always thought was interesting when Paul could say of Timothy in uh, verse 15 that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. I'm always amazed at uh, how much can be said in one verse. Th this tells us what the holy scriptures are about. Their purpose. They're able to make you wise for salvation. It's good to know other things but if you're not wise for salvation what really counts is missing. But you have all the provisions that have been made, but it's, it's a, it, the, the gospel system means that we must appropriate by faith. The salvation is through faith, which is in Christ Jesus, the only Savior. But, so a lot is said there, but the fact is he says that from infancy you have known the holy scriptures. His mother Lois and his grandmother Eunice had taught him, the text says from childhood, I know different translations may be represented among us this morning. You, have, you may have a translation that says from a babe or from infancy. Now that's an interesting word. For example, in Luke the first chapter, when Elizabeth was already in her sixth month with John the Baptist inside her womb still, and Mary made a trip to see her kinswoman Elizabeth, the text says, that Elizabeth said, 
How is it that the mother of my Lord has come to see me? For at the sound of your greeting, the babe leaped in my womb. Well, the Greek word is brephos, babe, brephos. And that's the same word Paul used of Timothy that's used there in Luke 1, the unborn child. And then in the next chapter, when it tells in Luke chapter 2 about Jesus being born, on the night he was born, the angel appeared to the shepherds and said, I have great good tidings, good news, great tidings of great joy. Um, There's born to you in the city of David a Savior, Christ the Lord. And you can go see him. This will be the sign. You'll, you'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. Now there's one angel that said all that. Then there was with that angel a great host of angels praising God and glory to the highest among men in whom he is well pleased. But that night the angels, the, the, the shepherds, it says, made haste. And they saw it just as they had been told. But see, that was the, the night Jesus was born. And so we have Paul reminding Timothy that from a child, from infancy, from a brephos, you've known the sacred writings. The same word that's used even of an unborn infant, the same word that's used of a day-old infant. What I'm suggesting is there never had been a time when Timothy was not being taught by his godly mother and his grandmother, the Holy Scriptures. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That's exactly the approach that I want to take and that over the years we've tried to take, not just with our children, but with children that I, that I teach back home. We have a young people's class and some have asked, well, well when, what's the age when, pe- when kids can start coming? And I've said two weeks. And I mean that, I'm not joking. From the time they come home from the hospital, their parents will bring them and they'll, get it, they'll, they'll begin getting used to my voice and my holding them and our singing and listening to scripture, it's a wonderful opportunity. And for parents and grandparents to seize that opportunity is a wonderful thing. So I noticed that in the beginning here of the passage. Many people have not had that opportunity. Many people have grown to adulthood and have not heard the gospel. And we need to pray that all men everywhere would have the opportunity to hear the saving gospel of Christ. And we need to pray that God would use us, that he would put in our path people that are looking for him. But as we look at this passage, it's such a rich passage to think in terms of the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. The salvation that is in Christ Jesus that the scriptures speak of. And by the way, for Timothy in his childhood, that would have been the Old Testament scriptures, but we've already seen this morning What that was all about was the coming one. What that was all about was the salvation that would be in Christ Jesus. But when it comes to the salvation that we're speaking of, there's a a beginning point. And that's where I want to start. The Bible teaches, for example, in the book of Romans, Paul writes in the book of Romans in the first chapter and the 16th verse, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is revealed the righteousness of God from faith unto faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, in this worship period, I'm not going to be calling on people to speak out, but if it were like a Bible class or a discussion, and I would ask any of you here and say, what does the word gospel mean? 
Everybody here probably would know the word means good news, wouldn't you? You're not surprised when I say good news. So, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God and the salvation. He's saying, I've got good news. And in this book, he will elucidate that. In this book, he's going to explain that. It's like he's stating his proposition that this is God's power to save. The righteousness of God is revealed therein in the gospel. And the rest of the book of 16 chapters will develop that thought. So he says, I've got some good news. That's verse 16 and 17. But do you see what he does next? Verse 18. Are you with me? In verse 18 he says, for the wrath of God. I thought you said that I thought you said the gospel means good news. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. The rest of the chapter, what Paul talks about, he describes a downward spiral of degradation as men, as things got worse and worse. Men who had truth but exchanged the truth for a lie. Men who, though they had knowledge of God, refused to have God in their knowledge. And men who worshipped and glorified the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Did that make them better now that they were free to do what they pleased? It just got worse and worse. And that's the picture of the Gentile world in the first century. That's also, by the way, a picture of much of the world in the 21st century. Well, in chapter 2. Now this is good news, right? Good news. So in chapter 2, he says, you, you that are Jews, you, you think you're better off because you've got the law, right? And you've got the promises. But have you kept the law? And, and so he, the, the point of the, by the time you get through the, the second chapter, he's talking about the, the fact that you are a Jew doesn't mean you're in better shape than the Gentile as far as your sins are concerned, as far as you're deserving the wrath of God. And then we get on into chapter 3. Now, you told me a while ago, you gave your assent this was a book of, on, on good news. Now, in the third chapter, you know what he'll say? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He'll say, what then? Are we better than they? No, we before laid to the charge of both Jews and Greeks that all have sinned. So we start out with a book that's saying, I've got good news for you. And the first three chapters say, but there's some bad news first. And really, we're not, I said, what's our starting point in understanding about the salvation that is in Christ Jesus? Just like with Paul in this book of Romans, we're not prepared to talk about salvation until we understand about sin. Now, by the time he gets to chapter 3, it's, okay, here, here comes the good news. It's, it's not through the law. The law showed what was sinful. The law prepared people. The law foretold the coming Christ, but it did not provide for justification. And so what happens is, in verse 24 of chapter 3, being justified freely by grace, by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be a propitiation by His blood, through faith, to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, if you've stayed with Paul that long, he's saying we have really got a problem here on our hands. The Gentile world has certainly sinned with all their idolatry and their immorality and, and all the, the sins that he enumerates. 
But the Jews, though they've had the law, have all violated the law. And all, in that sense, are on the, in the same trouble. And so now, apart from the law, but he says, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, here comes the righteousness. And he used that word propitiation. That's akin to the idea of atonement. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 10 verse 4. What about all those animal sacrifices? Hebrews 10 4. It is impossible. But the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sin. What about, what about coming up with enough money? 1 Peter 1 verse 18. Knowing that you were redeemed not with corruptible things such as silver and gold from your vain manner of life handed down from your fathers, but with precious blood as of the lamb without blemish, the blood of Christ. And so that's our starting point. We've got to do what Paul was getting his readers to do in the first century here. We've got to see we've got a problem. We've got to read that and say, well, you know, that's me that that's talking about. Isaiah chapter 53 says, beginning in verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Listen, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We've got to see ourselves in that picture. We've got to read that and not think he's talking about somebody else. You know, I kind of rem I thought about this a lot of times. Back in 1992, there were four of us that made our first overseas preaching trip. And some of these you might know, some you might not know. But uh, Raymond Harville and Johnny Felker and Bob Waldron and myself made what was, for all of us, our first international trip of preaching in what had been formerly communist countries. And Bill Bynum, that's now at Lakeland, Florida, had, he was one of the ones that when the Iron Curtain first fell in the fall of 1989, something people had been praying for for a long time, that, th that they would have the opportunity to do it. Almost everyone's surprised the wall came down and men were able to go in and, and preach the gospel. And so we were working with, with Bill in terms of uh, not wanting to make mistakes, doing nothing to hinder, no harm at all, but just do good. And so with his experience, he was making some observations and some pointers, and he said, you're going to have a lot of opportunities to study the Bible with people. But he said, don't assume that, that the vocabulary, he said, even if they speak English, he said, for example, if you start talking about sin or redemption from sin, this was before the Czechoslovakia divided into the Czech Republic and Slovakia, he, he said, he said the, the Czechs don't have, as a people, they don't have a a concept about personal sin, what that means. He said, if, if you start talking to them about sin, they're going to be thinking about communist atrocities. They're going to be thinking about how their people have suffered at the hands of oppressors. Th those are bad things that have happened to them when you start talking about sin. So I kept that in mind. And I had the opportunity, there's a woman up in Tennessee we were preaching at that time right on the Tennessee-Alabama line. Linda and I were living there. And some of our members lived actually in Tennessee. She was one of our members. And she sold a cow. And she gave me the money from the sale of the cow. And she said, take this with you and use this in your work any way you see fit. Well, 
A little bit of that I gave to a gospel preacher that I know needed some of the funds for his work as an evangelist. But the rest of it, the bulk of it, when we were in this city, Cheske Budevesa, it turned out that, that there was someone that had been one of the revolutionaries that, uh, that was, uh, had helped topple the communist government. He owned a radio station, Radio Factor, and our flat was very close to him and uh, where uh, his radio station was. And I went in there with a translator and asked about buying some time on his uh, radio station. And he consented to do that. And I said, not only would I like to teach, can, I, can we open the line so that people can call and phone in questions? And he said, yes, we're set up to do that too. So I say all that just to say, first it was a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. But pertaining to our study about a realization of personal sin, I kept that in mind, what Bill had said. And so one, one, these were all evening programs. And by the way, it was still at a time, still early in a time, when everybody was listening to the radio. And this was a station that carried. There were thousands of people that could hear. It was a wonderful opportunity that God presented to us. So anyway, one, one, one evening, early, early on, we were on for several nights. But one evening, early on, uh, and, and by the way, it was Bob and Walter and I that were at, at this location. The other two had gone to another place. But I just talked about this one point. I, I was talking about sin. And I said, think of the most wicked people you can think of. And think how they have sinned. And in the Bible, what, what came to mind as an illustration were, were the Corinthians. And, and so we read, and when I would read, the translator would read, of course, so people could understand. But over there in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11, where there's just a catalog of all kinds of terrible sins. And those that do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So wicked people have sinned. We agree with that. But... I said, we're going to read also from Acts, the 10th chapter. And what we read from Acts 10 was about a good man, a man named Cornelius, that prayed to God always. He gave much alms to the people. And though he was a Gentile, the Jews spoke well of him. He was of good report among the Jews. Very unusual. He was a good man. Prayed to God always. And I said, yep, but, but we keep reading here. and We find out he was lost because he also had sinned. And he had to hear words whereby he would be saved as we read from Acts 11 verse 14. And then I read, you know there's, there's something else we need to think about. What about religious people? And we read about Saul of Tarsus who was exceeding zealous. He's not somebody who just had his name on a roll somewhere. I mean he was zealous. He gave it his all. And yet all the while that he was so zealous in what he believed was right he was wrong, and he was lost. And so we read passages that, that showed that, and, and then we explained, then when he learned better, he did better. And so what I said was, what we've concluded tonight, and we've seen from the scriptures is, wicked people have sinned, but good people have too. And religious people in religious error are in sin and need to change. Bonnie Oldag, who preaches in North West Alabama. Do any of you know where Hackleburg is? Um, uh, Lonnie was already there. This was before he married. And, and he had some contacts. And what I was doing um, on, on these radio programs, I was giving his number. He was at home manning the phone and set up a lot of studies. Well, one of these was a call right after that program from a 15-year-old young lady. Her name was Elena. 
Alina. And um, he had already had some studies with her. So this was not a first contact. They'd had some studies. But, but he told me the next morning what happened. He said, I, he said, as soon as the program was over, he said, his phone rang, and she said, Lonnie, I have never before seen myself as a sinner and lost. She said, will you assist me right away to be baptized for the remission of my sins? And right there in that dark Voltava River that flows through the city, they went to the city. And by the way, it was cold. There had been some snow already. Went to, the, went to the river, and she was baptized that night for the remission of sins. I wonder, I wonder how many people have that same frame of mind before, before the light came on for her that have just never realized. They've never seen themselves as a sinner who is lost. So if we are to partake of the salvation that is in Christ Jesus, just like Paul approached it, we've got to see first that the wrath of God is justly due to all of us as sinners. And the only way that He can be just and our justifier is because Christ, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin hath left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And so what happens is, sin separates us from God. Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2. The hand of the Lord is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that he cannot hear. Your sins have separated between you and your God, and your iniquities have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Sin separates us from God. Romans 3.23, or Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And that's why Christ came. And that's why Jesus died and gave his life as a ransom for us. And what happens is, just as Alana experienced that dark, cold night in 1982, wonderful things happen when we obey the gospel of Christ. Acts 2, when the gospel was preached for the first time on the day of Pentecost, the first time the commission, great commission was given, was, was, was carried out, Peter said, Repent! And be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 41 of Acts 2. They that gladly received his word were baptized. And 3,000 were added to them. And this great process continued in verse 47. The Lord added daily to the church such as were being saved. Wonderful things happen. I rejoice over in Acts chapter 8 and verse 5. When Philip went to Samaria and preached Christ. Verse 12 says that when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the, the name of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God, they were baptized, both men and women. The text says there was much joy in that city. I rejoice to read the Ethiopian eunuch when he was taught about that passage of Isaiah 53 and who that is, prophet talking about himself or some other man, Philip opened his mouth and beginning at that same scripture preached unto him Jesus. He's the one that brought it up as they went on their way and came to water. He said, look, here's water. Why can't I be baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So they stopped the chariot. They went down into the water. Philip baptized him. 
And the verse says in Acts 8 and verse 39, he went on his way rejoicing. This is a passage that was read at the Lord's table pointed out. Rejoicing because, as Colossians 1 and verse 13 says, we were delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. See, that, that's the good news. That though we have sinned, He has mercy and pardon. That's the good news of the gospel. And Paul was no exception. Paul the persecutor that we mentioned a while ago, as he told about what happened in Acts 22 and verse 16 and got to the part where Ananias said, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And Acts 9 verse 18 says, And he arose and was baptized. So that's when we enter into Christ. That's when all sins are forgiven. That's when we're added by the Lord to His church. That's when we can sing songs and it means something. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Wonderful things happen when you obey the gospel of Christ. But God has a plan. And what we have said is vital. That you've got to begin there. You can't skip any of that. But God has a plan. And when he says the scriptures are able to make us wise unto salvation, he didn't mean that salvation only consists of salvation from our past sins. You see... There's the question, well, what now? And what now is we're disciples, we're students. In Luke 6 and verse 40, Jesus says that the disciple is not above his master, but everyone when he is fully trained shall be as his teacher. So there's that ongoing work of becoming not conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's part of the salvation that is in Jesus, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul could write the Philippians in Philippians 2 and say, as you've obeyed always. That's a wonderful compliment. As you've always obeyed, not in my absence only, but now much more in my presence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians 2 and verse 12 and following there. Now is an adverb of time. But now... Now it was a wonderful thing in Acts 16 when the gospel came to Philippi. And that woman, of formerly a Thyatira, named Lydia, a seller of purple, when her heart was open to hear the word spoken by Paul, and she and her household were baptized, that was a wonderful time. And after Paul was arrested, and the jailer at midnight learned the truth, and he and his household were baptized, that was a wonderful time. And others were added to the Lord. That was all wonderful. But Paul says, now, what about now? And he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So, as he had earlier said in Philippians, the first chapter, he says, I'm confident of this very thing, that God who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. And we need to look at our lives here on earth in the present tense as that ongoing work. God has begun a good work in us. When? Well, that's when we obey the gospel. That's salvation from every past sin. But there's a He's working his purpose in us. There's that now part. That's what Paul was talking about in Galatians 2 and verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I live in the 
flesh, I live in the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Salvation is present tense. It's ongoing. It's, it's forever looking how we can go on to the next level. It's, it's reaching the point that we have the mind of Christ. That's reflected, for example, in John 4 and verse 34. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to accomplish his work. In John 8 and verse 29, I always do the things that are pleasing in his sight. In John 9 and verse 4, we must work the works of him that sent me while it is yet day. The night cometh when no man can work. That's what God wants in you and in me. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That same kind of desire to do the Father's will. And when we're raised up from the watery grave of baptism, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But that's just the beginning of what God wants to do with us. And so there's that growth process. And a lot of people look back and they rejoice at the time they were baptized, but they're not as concerned. They're kind of like there's somebody without a compass, without direction, and they're not growing. And so the book of Hebrews addresses what can happen when we're not at the present time doing those things that should accompany salvation. You can reach the point that you have need that others teach you all over the fundamentals, the first principles of the gospel. So salvation, it turns out, that's in Christ Jesus is not just past tense, it's present tense. But also, finally, reference is made to salvation in the future tense. And I want to conclude referencing that. Still in the book of Romans, in Romans the 13th chapter and verse 11, do this knowing the time that it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Well now, could Paul be talking about their past salvation getting nearer when they were, were, were obedient to the gospel? That wouldn't make sense. The, the present tense? No, I'm, I'm persuaded that he's talking about that which is the ultimate purpose of God, that which is the consummation of God's purpose. Or to put it another way, the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy, the second chapter, made reference to his suffering what he did gladly for the sake of the elect that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So there's salvation. We live in hope of eternal life. The Apostle Peter writes about this in 1 Peter, the first chapter. He praises God as by blessing Him. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1 and verse 3 who has begotten us again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ unto a living hope of an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept through faith by the power of God. But look at what he goes on to say. For salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You see? And that's ultimately what our baptism for the remission of sins was about. That's what our salvation, as we're giving attention to now, is about. The salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. Even if you're persecuted and that will happen, that's okay. Because your, your eye is on the, the goal here. 
that the genuineness of your faith being more precious than gold which perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Does that describe you? Do you have that hope? Are you rejoicing with joy inexpressible and full of glory? But look at the next verse. Receiving the end of your faith. Now here the word end doesn't mean like like the end of the line thing. It means the purpose, the objective. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. But see, the context of that is when the Lord comes. How does he put it? ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 7, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When, though we see Him not, at that time we will see Him. And so it turns out that the salvation, which is in Christ Jesus, as I said earlier, is, is such a rich concept. It embraces all of this. We're not adding anything to God's Word. We're just, we're just unpacking what's in that one verse. And there's still much more that could be said, of course. Each of us is the work of the Holy Spirit, John 16 and verse 8, to convict us of sin. If you stand in need as one who needs to obey the gospel of Christ, then can you see where you're at this morning? You're at that point, separated from God, but all things are ready. And you can receive the remission of every past sin if you'll obey from the heart the gospel of Christ. Now, for the rest, if we're not giving attention to salvation at the present time, should we think there will be salvation with eternal glory for us? And so do we need to renew our covenant? Are there areas where we need to really be serious about and devoted to and make correction that way? Whatever the application, I trust you'll make it. But... If there are those present who stand in need of gospel obedience, what a wonderful way to start out our gospel meeting first morning, first day, and to witness someone uh, rendering obedience to the gospel as together we stand and sing.